Our Old Testament reading tonight is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. Cry out loudly. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a ram's horn. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and delight to know my ways like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look. You do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this? A day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose? To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger-pointing and malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness, and your night will be like noonday. The Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land, and strengthen your your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient walls, the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live. The word of the Lord. We will read Psalm 103 responsibly by verse. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, works righteousness and justice for all who oppress. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, 
he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not fail us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so does his new as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our friend. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. And is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Blessed Lord, all of his angels, your mighty ones who do his word, obeying the word of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. The New Testament reading is from 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5, verses 20 through 6, verse 10. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech in the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet made many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel tonight is from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and also verses 16 through 21. 
Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word of the Lord. Something that I don't think about very often, and when I do, I try to shut it out. I'm going to die. Human beings today are living longer and healthier than at any time in history, but we are finite creatures. And the Bible says that all... All of us are actually under a death sentence because of sin, and all of us will go down to the dust. We came from the dust, and from the dust we shall return. We heard it in Psalm 103 just now. As for man, his days are numbered. His days are like the grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. When it is gone, its place knows it no more. Human life is fleeting and it is frail, much more than we ever like to think. And yet, so much of what we do in our lives is designed to cover up that truth. As we enter into this season of Lent, I wanted to talk about maybe sweeping some of those coverings away. It is very possible to see this day as depressing. This service itself is a lot quieter than our normal worship service, and it has a posture of repentance, and it doesn't end with the joy of the feast of the Lord's Supper. It ends with you getting your forehead smeared with ashes in the shape of an instrument of death and torture that they used to kill the Messiah. It starts a 40-day season when we focus on three things that Jesus mentioned in our gospel text tonight, prayer, fasting, and giving generously to the poor. And there is a way of looking at Lent that says if I do this right, if I deny myself enough, I can get God to notice me and he'll see how good I am and he'll love me. 
But if Ash Wednesday seems like a downer of a day to us, or if it seems like a day that's focused on ourselves, if this whole thing of Lent feels like drudgery, it's because I'm missing the point. The point is not to win favor with God, which Isaiah warned us against, or to win points with our neighbors, which Jesus warned us against. The point of a season like Lent is to reorient our thinking and clear out our hearts and our minds and our appetites to have more room to focus on what matters. It is so easy to fill up our lives with things, things that can never, ever, ever love us back, things that we try to use to give our life meaning. John Calvin called the heart an idol-making factory. And when we take, and, and th- that, that idea of, of us constantly crafting idols for ourselves, it can take different shapes, with, and, and, and it causes us to elevate stuff with stuff that isn't necessarily bad on its own. But we elevate them to the point that we begin to look for, to them for our identity and hope and meaning and salvation. And it can be different in different places. When, when I used to live in South Florida, it was houses and cars and clothes and stuff. Material possessions. Those are the things worth chasing after. If I can collect the newest, the shiniest, the latest, and the greatest, then I'm winning somehow. And I used to work at a very expensive restaurant right on the beach. And on a Friday or a Saturday night, you'd see all these cars lined up at the valet. And it got to the point where I didn't even notice them anymore. When friends of mine would come in from out of town and we'd go to dinner there, their heads would, their, their heads would explode. As we were walking past Ferrari, Lamborghini, Ferrari, McLaren, Bentley, Lamborghini, Ferrari. Maybe for you, it's not physical things. Maybe it's events or experiences or even relationships or how tightly packed your day is and how busy you are and how many people you know. I certainly get that way. And it seems like, you know, like I said, it's different in different places. It seems like around here, the very idea of, of independence and self-reliance can almost start to be an idol. How capable am I? How self-sufficient am I? And in Lent, we start denying ourselves things. We take a hard look at our life in order to make more space for the only thing that matters. Now, possessions aren't inherently bad. Friends and social networks and and even self-reliance, productivity, those things aren't inherently bad. But anything, when elevated to the level that it begins to define us, when it becomes an identity, when we need it to complete our self-worth, that can really get in the way. And it happens slowly and insidiously. Nobody ever plans for this. But when we intentionally deny ourselves for a season, we start carving out more room in our day and in our heads and in our hearts for Jesus, we can see him more clearly. We have a friend from D.C. named Lou Bailey, and she was talking about this once, and she put it so good that I just had to write it down. She said, if if you put a diamond on on a patterned cloth, it's kind of hard to see. You can kind of make it out, but you lose a lot of the depth to it. But if you spread a black velvet cloth over that pattern, you put the diamond on the black velvet background, you can really start to see its intricacies. It shines and it sparkles, and you realize why it seems so valuable in the first place. When we remove the distractions, when we change the background in our lives, the diamond that is Christ begins to stand out a lot clearer. And I know that for me, my life is 
very often not that black background. And it isn't very often, and oftentimes it's not even that patterned cloth. It is a, a plate full of costume jewelry and fake gems. Lots of stuff that can kind of look Jesus-y, but isn't Jesus. And when I began clearing those things off, and when I lay that black velvet cloth down, the diamond that is Christ gleams that much clearer. It shines like the stars. I can't promise that this will be true for you, but I can tell you something that happened to me once, and it had a profound impact on me. And it, I, re, I think about it when, it when it comes to Lent. January 21, my first wife and I separated. I moved out of the house that I had spent the last couple of years assiduously and with determination filling with nice stuff. And I moved into a one-room apartment that it was about the size of one of those display areas up there. And I had no possessions. Whatever I could fit in my car is what I had. So even today, very little in my house that I brought to Elizabeth in my marriage is more than 10 years old. I had nothing. And this was not intentional, but what ended up happening was the fact that I had nothing really <laughs> opened up a bunch of space in my head and my heart. And that season, I really started to see Jesus more clearly because it was all I had. Return to the Lord, for he is merciful. Return to him with all your heart. Be reconciled to God this season. The prophet Joel says that we should rend our hearts, not our garments. This is the same thing that Isaiah was saying, that when we fast, we don't just, or when, when, we don't just spread everything out and, and cover ourselves in sackcloth and ashes for all to see. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Tearing your garments shows grief and anguish, and that's understandable. But tearing your heart is repentance. It's basically a metaphor that means if you want to get rid of your desires, the things that you really want, if you get, want to get rid of what you want to focus on, it will allow you to focus on what God wants for you. Rending your heart, tearing up your desires, that is real repentance. That's reconciliation with God. And that is why the, the Eastern Church has started to call this season of Lent a bright sadness. It's a, a Greek word, and it's almost untranslatable, and it's a paradox. It's, uh, the Greek word is karma lupe, and it, it means joyful sadness or happy grief. It's the bright sadness of Lent. And I never understood this until a couple years ago. I used to have a really, really crummy view of Lent. I just remember hearing all my friends going on and on and on about what they did for Lent. Oh, well, here's what I gave up. What did you give up? Oh, well, I wouldn't give up that. Well, you can give up this. I'm not saying this is how my friends were. I'm saying it's how I heard them. It's how I perceived them in my heart. And I always had an answer chambered for if anyone asked me what I was giving up. And they never did, and I was always really upset about that, but I was just dying for them to ask me, what, so what are you giving up for Lent this year? Oh, I'm giving up false piety for Lent this year. But I was the false one. I was so caught up in my idea of what Christian freedom is that I didn't see the, the actual joyful grief, the actual bright sadness of denying yourself, taking a season to give things up to make more room for Christ as we move towards Easter, that season of preparation that prepares us for the 50-day feast of Easter. I was centered incorrectly. I saw people talking about what they were doing, and I wanted to talk about what I was doing. 
It was the same sort of useless piety that puts all the emphasis back on me and takes it off of Christ. It really is worthless. And so this is the danger, I think, of of Lent in particular, and, and the danger of religion in general. We try to retell God's story with ourselves at the center. But the reason that we're here isn't to return to ourselves. It isn't to find our authentic self. I've had enough of myself. We are up to eyeballs in reminders of our own brokenness. The reason that we are here is to return to the Lord. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As I was saying, our gospel passage tonight details what has kind of come down through church history as the three main practices of Lent. An increase in charitable giving, an increase in prayer, and an increase in fasting. And there's a word that Jesus uses over and over again, secret. Don't do these things in a, in a showy manner, as the hypocrites do, because they've received their reward. But do them in secret so that God will see you, so that your Father who sees you in secret will reward you in secret. Why do we do these things in secret? Because otherwise you'd have a lot of showy people trumpeting their own charity, just announcing their own piety in the public square and showing their sacrifice off of, of, of fasting by appearing sickly and weak to elicit sympathy. I said earlier that I used to think Lent was all about what other people were doing and comparing it to what I was doing. It's like when you see your... I see my friends that say, hey, Facebook, I'm, I'm getting off Facebook for 40 days for Lent. See you in 40 days. What, what is that but the, the showy outward piety that Jesus warned us about? And it's done with the best of intentions. But it becomes all about us. And Jesus, in what he was saying in Matthew 6, just a few verses earlier in that same sermon, he was telling his followers that they were salt and light. They were the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the thing to remember is nobody eats salt on its own. Salt is used for something, Right? Nobody looks directly into a light. The light is not an end to itself. The light is supposed to shine onto something. A light points to something it is used to illuminate. And so if we are going to be salt and light, if we are going to, to be the salt and light that God calls us to be, we do it by preserving and pointing, right? Salt and light. We do it by preserving the faith that we have been given and by pointing to a greater reality than one that we can see every day. And we do that while taking the season to make more space for God by putting ourselves through this workout of prayer and fasting and almsgiving. We continue to be salt and light while, while we empty ourselves a little bit more than we normally do. That's why Jesus tells us to do these things in secret, because we don't want to point to ourselves. We want to point to Jesus. So, if we want an earthly reward for this weird thing called Lent, then... By all means, let's all talk loudly and how often and and, and often about how many sacrifices we're making. But if you're anything like me, if you are just exhausted by the theatricality of self-righteousness, then we should make this Lent about something else. We should make it about Jesus. Why not let these ashes physically mark the end of any further efforts to be your own savior? Let them serve as a dual reminder to you, firstly, that we came from dust, and to dust we shall return. 
apart from the grace of Christ. But let them also mark a turning point for us. Back to the Savior who has claimed us. Back to the cross that justifies us. Back to the empty tomb that shows the resurrected Lord. To the King who is, who is still reigning over us, signified by the sign of the cross that these ashes make. We cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 puts this so beautifully. It's called the great exchange. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that through the sacrifice that Jesus made, we might become the righteousness of God. What an awesome gift. What a joy and a responsibility we have. We can't get there ourselves. No one is going to be able to pray her way into heaven or fast her way into salvation. No amount of effort on our part can possibly save us from our own sin. But as people who know we have been forgiven, as people who know we have been redeemed and adopted and loved, we can repent. We can actively turn from sin. And we can use things like Lent to sweep our lives clean and make more room for Jesus to permeate every aspect of our being. How we think, how we talk to God, how we move in the world, and how we behave towards others. Lent can be seen as a 40 days of spring cleaning to get some stuff out of the way and make more room for God. We don't like to think about this, but the things of this world pass away. Every human institution, every great civilization, every, every building ever built, certainly all human beings. Empires rise and empires fall, and no amount of wishing will make that untrue. But God has a better way for us. So today, let's begin this season of repentance, of turning, of adopting a new posture. As these ashes are imposed on our heads, may it be the sign of our turning to Jesus the only one who can save us from death. And I would invite you to join with me as we place that black velvet cloth over portions of our life. And we do it so that we may see, so that we more clearly behold and point to the incomparable diamond that is Christ.